Welcome. You are listening to the Better Together podcast with Callie and Rosario Picardo. We take on topics involving marriage, ministry, parenting, communication, relationships, and other subjects that our listeners want to hear more about. Welcome to another edition of the Better Together podcast. I'm your co-host, Rosario Picardo. And I'm Callie Picardo. And today we have an exciting guest with us. We've got Lynn Wilson, who is the Executive Director of Invite Resources and the Director of Innovation and Strategy at St. Andrew United Methodist Church in Plano, Texas. He is a very creative person. And several years ago, he wrote a book called Think Like a Five-Year-Old, Reclaim Your Wonder and create great things. And so, Len, we are so excited to have you on the Better Together podcast today. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be here with you today. So did you ever think you were going to start a publishing company? <laughs> That's a great way to dive and in. one of the dreams you had <laughs> as a five-year-old. Uh, no, it was not. And that's a great example of God's vision being much bigger than ours could possibly be. Absolutely. It's, uh, we're, we're two years and a quarter in, uh, right now. And it's, uh, I'm, I'm living the dream. I didn't even know I had y'all. This is, uh, the culmination of just a lifetime of, uh, skills and interests all coming together to bear on this, this new venture that we've started. So I'm having the time of my life. That's so awesome. Hey, will you tell us about this book that you wrote a couple of years ago? I love the title. And I, you know, I, we have a five-year-old. And Do you? Okay, yes. And more interesting to us because we're like, yes, we see the creativity our child has. There is always an imaginative adventure going on that we are being invited <laughs> into. And sometimes we have, don't have the energy for it. But um, we love her creativity, but we kind of lose it as we get to be adults. How do you reclaim that? Yes, absolutely. That's really what the book's about, is about this this journey that we go on in our lifetimes from this just fount of creativity that we each have at that age. Uh, what happens to us, how we have it, how we lose it, how how to get it back, how it's part of God's design for our lives. And, and it, it's a very personal book uh, for me. It's probably the most personal of the books that I have written, uh, because prior this, um, the, the backstory on it is that in early 20 teens, I was really going through a period of reevaluation and kind of understanding my calling again and going back to the beginning. And, um, you know, I had been known for doing technology and church work. And um, with our mutual friend, Jason Moore, we had had this company called Midnight Oil Productions, and we were teaching churches how to how to think creatively and design worship with creative, but it was very tied to the technology side of things because the, you know, there were new tools that we were understanding how to utilize in, in church work. And so when I stepped step back from that, I was kind of going through this, um, this reset of sorts. And as I, as I was praying and really just l- trying to listen to God's spirit uh, move, I was recalling how even back to when I was very young, I had always been doing creative things and drawing and writing. And my life verse um, for when I was young had been 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, a new creation, you know, the old is gone, the new has come. Which, by the way, all the translations are bad because none of them capture. I picture like 
like the apostle Paul like writes an M dash, like he's interrupting himself. Like if anyone's in Christ, new creation, like, you know, and so he's like, he's like shouting at himself and his readers. And so uh, there's kind of this, like this idea there that the new creation and us as part of it, you know, us being creative. uh, And so those things were merging in my mind, like the idea that there's, we are creative. We're part of the new creation. We're called to create. And so, um, that was kind of theologically where I was. And at the same time, I was exactly where you all, I had, uh, my wife and I, my wife, Char and I have four kids and, uh, they were at this stage. So, uh, when I was going through this process, my oldest was six, seven, eight years old. Uh, youngest was just being born. So, you know, we're living this, right. We've got, you know, maybe like, I don't know, I'll say like seven, six, four and baby, something like that. Um, it's all a blur at this point. <laughs> what was happening? So, so I'm watching all this creativity. I'm thinking about my own life and creativity, and uh, and so that's that's really the backstory of of what was happening with the book, and and also kind of just the reflection that I had. I felt like at one point there, I'd kind of lost it. I'd kind of lost my own creativity. I'd lost my sense of direction about what I was doing in my life. Uh, so God was using all this kind of mishmash of stuff to really generate some some new thinking. Um, the book, there's a core story in the book that actually originated in some of the work that Jason and I were doing together, which comes from uh, NASA. It's, it's a really amazing story of what happened in the 60s. So, you know, like looking back 60 years ago last year, JFK announced that we're going to go to the moon by the end of the decade. This is 1961, and we're going to land on the moon by 1969, which was this audacious, crazy, bold goal. We, we, we lose sight in retrospect. You know, post-Armstrong, we don't understand how, how like, stupid crazy that was that he would say that, right? And so they, they launched this agency, and, and they, they're bringing in all these kind of military-trained engineers to figure out how to uh, get the rocket ship industry up and running, and none of them are thinking properly about it because they're they're new problems. They're not like they're not old problems, and so old solutions aren't working. And <clears throat> so they hired a, a, a sociologist. His name is George Land, and they said, "George, we need a better way to hire creative thinkers uh, that help us think differently about what we're doing." And so he developed the study, and they applied it to their their application and vetting process for these engineers coming into NASA. Very successful. You know, they ended up finding these amazing people. Obviously, they're able to, you know, get to the moon there in just uh, eight short years. So afterwards, what George Land did is he applied the study to a, a group, kind of a control group of kids. He wanted to see what would happen. Now, the study had various levels of, of output. So, you, you know, for like the very highest was creative genius and like, I guess the worst was creative dunce. I don't know what they called that. You know, so they just had like these, you know, like various levels. And, uh, and so he put the study together. He had, he gathered 1500 five-year-olds and the study was very simple. You mean a five-year-old could do it. Like one, for example, one of the questions was how many uses can you generate for this fork besides eating? And so they would just look at the fork and you'd figure out like, well, you could do, I don't know. You could just come up with these various things. If that if that intimidates you, that's kind of like an example of how we lose our creativity, right? Because a five year old has no trouble thinking of uh, cool things to do with forks, <laughs> as I'm sure you all know, right? There's a light socket. Let's stick a fork in it, okay? So, <laughs> this happens, right? So he applied the study to uh, these 1,500 five year olds, and it came back that 98 percent of them 
topped out on this creative genius, the very top. I mean, they were more creative than almost any NASA engineer that had been hired. Five-year-olds, you know, were just generating ideas like crazy. So he, he waited five years. It was a longitudinal study, so it goes over time. So he waited five years. He gave the same test to these now same 1,500 10-year-olds, and 30% of them graded it out as creative genius. Did it again at age 15, 12%. And then one more time, he brought them back as adults, age 31, 2% were creative geniuses. So what in the world happens to us? So I began to do some more study about this. And Paul Torrance, who's one of the fathers of creative thinking and creative researching, um, he talked about this phenomenon. Now, if, uh, I don't know if y'all have any kind of history in education industry. When I talk to educators, they almost always nod uh, on this part, um, and whether that they've heard this or just you know experienced it firsthand. But there's something, a phenomenon called the fourth grade slump. So uh, late elementary educators are seem to be very familiar with this. So up through third grade, typically kids retain this kind of same creative thinking. But by fifth grade, they've shut down. And, and y'all remember at the, at the time I was writing this and my, my, my oldest is like, say, eight. So she's in third grade and I'm scared to death. I'm like, how in the world am I going to keep my kids from losing it? And, and so I, I was doing a lot of research on it. The, the book, I go extensively into Luke 4 and Jesus' temptation in the wilderness. And I named three, those kind of three demons, I call them, that come in and, and take away our creativity. The, 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 they're lies, the lie of self-doubt, the lie of self-glory, and the lie of control. And, and I think at, at a very basic level, what happens is we shift our orientation vertically. So we're, we're, we're with God and we're, uh, we're, in the garden, so to speak, creatively, right? We're comfortable, it's intimate, we feel safe, we're free to kind of think creatively and to, and to have fun. And, and then we shift our emphasis to others and we start focusing on the people around us, which becomes dynamics of, of power, dynamics of approval. And so we shut down because we're scared of, of being rejected, uh, you know, and, and what happens. And so we end up taking on things that we think will appeal to the people around us, which ends up being kind of these, these, um, marring traits, right? This it's one way to kind of understand this how how sin comes in. Um so so that's that's what happens to us uh, over time. So the book kind of outlines this is how we lose it, then how do we get it back? And so then I spend the rest of the book kind of talking about that. So um we're adults that want to be creative. And I imagine a lot of our listeners are listening and like Yes, I wish I was as creative as a five-year-old. Maybe not quite that creative. They come mm -hmm. up with a little, some crazy ideas. That you're, like, you're like, where did you come up with that? Don't do that. Um, but for the positive creative side, I mean, where do we even start? I mean, how do you get back to that mindset? Because the reality is we, we've lost it. And so is, is it even possible to reclaim it? You know, I, I, it, there's, there's, very, there's kind of theological answers. There's also very practical answers. And um, one of the practical things that I began to realize was that uh, create, like, like I used to joke when our friend, mutual friend, Jason and I were out um, doing a lot of work with churches. He still does this. Uh, you'll go into a church and you'll uh, kind of lead people through a creative process. You'll have like a worship design team or some kind of group that comes together and you're designing creative thinking uh, in the space. I used to like to joke that the least creative place in the entire world is a meeting in which you're asked to be creative. 
You know, you sit, you sit around, you're like, okay, think of something cool. <laughs> and I used to put myself in this pressure. And then I realized that's actually a really bad idea because it never, I mean, it, sometimes it works, but it's pretty rare. Um, so I got to think about the creative process. And after several years of research and thought about this, I came down to this. There's basically three core things to the creative process. There is uh, input, waiting, and connection. So all creativity is ex materia. So the only uh, truly generative, creative person in the universe is ex nihilo is God. Uh, God creates from nothing. We all create from something. We create from ex materia. And when I talk to people, even in the church, they're un- sometimes under the misunderstanding that we're supposed to create ex nihilo, like out of nothing, right? And that's not that's not our responsibility. Like God gives all the material. Our job ex materia is connection. So you start by just saying what's around you and starting to pay more attention. So I started to get um, more of a discipline about uh, paying attention to the sources of input that are around me. I used to think when, I, when my kids were young, I remember this is I'm dating myself now because I remember on a Sunday afternoon once we're, we're had the stroller. We're going through Toys R Us. Toys R Us doesn't exist anymore. Very sad. Like we would go on Sunday afternoon. We'd go out and eat after church. And then like the kids are still squirrely and it's not quite ready for a nap. And so we have an hour to kill. What do you do? Let's just like run, wander through Toys R Us for a little bit or something. So, so we would be doing this and I'd be pushing a stroller. You know, remember we have four kids. I'm like, you know, I got a kid on each arm. I don't even know, like just doing everything. And, uh, and then I'd have a creative idea and I think really like right now, like I, I can't capture this. And so I think to myself, okay, I'm going to remember this. I'm going to write it down later. And then of course later never happens, you know? And so I, I go home and I think, man, I've lost at least two good books because I didn't like write down the idea when it happened. So, so one of my disciplines was just simply to be very cognizant and aware and capture every idea when it comes so I literally carry a pen with me 24-7 in my pocket. My kids know it. I always have it. I have a journal. I use Apple Notes. I, I have the microphone. I've got like 4,500 notes, I think, now. I'm just capturing everything. Uh, so part of it is the input. Part of it is just learning to listen all the time. And then another part of it is learning to to wait and not expect. This is a, this is an issue of faith, and this is an issue of trusting in, in God's Spirit. And, and Raj, you talked about invite up front. Uh, I've learned through creative ministry over time, and especially now getting into invite, that um, I can say with confidence, like, for example, now I'm working with an author, and I'm talking to the author, and he's got, like, I'm thinking of starting out somebody that I've, I've worked with for about to sign a contract, so in a few days I can tell you who it is. But he's, write, he's writing a book, and he's, he's already sent the manuscript in, and it's an amazing manuscript, but it has no title. And so I, I'm confident now that I can say to him, We'll figure a title out. It's going to be great. And I used to not feel confident. I used to say something like that and be scared to death inside. Like, I hope I can figure out a good title, you know, but now I've learned to trust. It's, it's a, it's an issue of faith. It's an issue of learning to trust in God's spirit to say, if you're doing, if you take the the burden off yourself of feeling like you're ex nihilo, then you pay attention to the materials around you. And then you learn to be patient. And then if you're patient, then God shows up. And then that's the connection. That's the eureka. That's the connection of two different things. Uh, that comes together. So that's the essence of the creative process to me. And if we learn to do that, then we can apply that to anything and everything we do in our lives. I've kind of noticed something as I've grown in my self-awareness and then, you know, growing hopefully in this, what we call a sanctification process, uh, learning to look more like Jesus, right? And and growing yeah. in that. Um, when I'm stressed, I can't be creative. And so... Um, 
that's kind of one factor. The other is when I'm working with friends and colleagues, if they're perfection, uh, perfectionistic, um, it kills creativity and they don't allow themselves to be creative. And there's that opportunity cost that comes in. Yes. And, and you, you've been around the block to know, I guess some organizations and churches and other things do not have a conducive environment for creativity. And so it drives creative types crazy because you're um, you can why something to death or you can, I call that why and something to death and, um, or Andy Stanley talks about turning your how into wow, you know, and and thinking through that. But would you maybe say a word on, um, creativity's in all of us. So, uh, you know, maybe a a word from your experience on that. This is a wonderful topic. It's a huge topic. Uh, and something that I have uh, felt personally and, and feel for you as you talk about that, because there are definitely situations where it's difficult uh, to make that happen. One of the things that I did when I was going through this discernment process a decade ago was I really got into StrengthsFinder. And it actually became kind of transformative. It was a tool that, that God used to really open up my eyes to things. I had been trying at the time to be an expert at everything because it was kind of came with the job a little bit. I mean, we... Jason and I were doing kind of basically communications work and your, your kind of small business ownership mentality when you're in a church and you're doing that kind of role. And some people come and say, design a, a, a layout or make a video. And you're supposed to be skilled at everything. And you're like, okay. And so then you go through and you're trying to figure it all out. It's so there's this burden to be good at everything. So I took StrengthsFinder partly to, to realize what really is my highest gift. Because I, I was saying in the book, we all have a creative genius. The core verse of the book is Ephesians 2.10, that we're God's handiwork and that we're given a set of good things to do with our lives. So what is my set of good things, is what I was asking myself. I mean, like, I say I can do a lot of things, but what are the best things? What are the things I really can try to let go of these and focus on these? And so StrengthsFinder was helpful because it, it helped me to realize my number one thing was ideation. Like, I'm just, I love ideating. Just boom, boom, boom. And then strategy and, and intellection was another one, which is kind of the constant mental hum that drives my wife crazy because I never shut my brain off. And and then, but then another one was positivity. So that was like number six or seven. So, yeah, so yeah, something y'all feel too. So that's, and that that's fun because that, that is a part of kind of like the idea that there's there's joy in the process, right? The creative process. And that's what we see in five-year-olds, right? Like there's, there's pure joy in that process. So as a leader, what I try to do is number one is I try to make my teams feel safe. It's the most important thing in the world to them. Um, and, and part of that means that I have to learn to not micromanage. If I'm going to put somebody in charge of something, I have to trust they're going to do it. When I was at United, so for, so for your, some of your listeners may not know, I'm a United grad. I was there from 93 through 95, got my Master of Arts in Religious Communication, which was the program that, that uh, Lynn Sweet had set up when he was dean there. And one of the board members was Charles Kappelman. Charles was the VP of Operations at CBS in Hollywood, T- uh, CBS Television City. He had offered a, um, an open invitation to any student to go do an internship at CBS in L.A. And no one had ever taken it. I heard this and I'm like... Heck yeah, I'm going. So I figured it out. I went out there and I had this internship in 95 in CBS. And and I sat with Charles one day in his office. It's just such a cool moment. And, and like he's given me his advice, like a lifetime of learning. Just a real faithful follower of Jesus who's in the industry, creative entertainment industry. 
And one of the things he said was, I've learned more than anything else. He says, if I put somebody in charge and get the heck out of the way, that ultimately what they do is so much better than anything I could have done by micromanaging. And sometimes you can't help it if your boss is the one who's doing this to you. But as I've grown into my own leadership, um, then that's something that I, and I'm having to practice it right now at, at Invite, you know, is to say, yeah, ultimately you need to be in charge of that. And even if it's not where I want it to be, then I have to give space to allow you to, to, to grow into that, which means you have to feel safe and have the opportunity to learn and to be trained so that I'm not trying to micromanage every detail, every step of the process. And sometimes stuff um, doesn't come out the way I would have done it, but ultimately it's exponentially better because they're, they're bringing new stuff that I wouldn't have thought. You know, and, and there's so much more we could say about this. The, the book um, by Ed Catmull called Creativity Inc. is just an amazing, brilliant book. And, and there's several pieces from that book that we could look at as well with this idea. Lynn, I heard you mention earlier that some of this was birthed out of kind of a like a crisis of identity, kind of a crisis of the soul. And I think innately we try to avoid that those type moments or try to push mm. them away. But it sounds like there may be actually some fruit that can truly come out of those times oh. where you're like, what am I? What am I doing? And some of our mm. listeners might be in one of those moments. Do you have a mm. word you could share with any listeners that might be in that point of, I don't know why I'm doing what I'm doing. Like, what is my purpose in life? (laughs) Why am I here? (laughs) Oh, you know, in retrospect, and I guess it's easy to say now to some degree because I'm in such a good place now, but that I I wouldn't have changed that period of my life for anything because I'm, I'm a, I feel much richer and deeper. I I feel I'm blessed with so much more wisdom from the spirit um, and more, more sure of myself in terms of what I'm doing and what God is having me do been at any point in my life. And I would not have been there if I had not gone through the period I went through. We're, uh, right now with Invite, we're publishing a lot of books regarding this process, regarding healing. In fact, the book we're doing by George Acevedo coming out next spring is called Everybody Needs Some Cave Time. And the whole point of it is like it, it, there's five or six biblical stories there of like you, you're, you have to go through the dark cave in order to really, truly listen. I like to say that I've had two conversions. I steal this from Howard Snyder, uh, the, the Asbury theologian. Uh, he says he had four conversions. And I had my first conversion, then I had a second conversion. And um, and that is, that's really what happened. In, in fact, I remember the night. It was in February of 2011. And that's when I had a deeper surrender to the Spirit than I had previously had in, in, in the first age of my life. And, uh, and you, going through that is, it can be disorienting and painful, but there's a whole lot of really great people who've written about that and, and how when we, we really surrender to everything and let go of the last little bits of control we're putting on our lives and truly understand what it means to listen and follow and obey the spirit, then we get unleashed uh, for power in a way that we never could have previously imagined. So if you're going through that, just say, okay, God, I give it all up. I'm, I'm, I've been hanging on to this or that. Forget it. I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm giving it all up, and you do it. You do everything you want to do with my life, and that's what I did, and, and I'm blessed for it. Thank you for sharing that because it just is encouraging. I know when you're in the middle of it, you're like, is there a point to this? Is there a purpose? Mm-hmm. And so thank you for sharing that and just that little bit of hope that we all need. Yeah, absolutely. And one final question for you. This is the Better Together podcast. So we always like to ask our guests kind of a better together question. Mm. So how can we be better together in this creative 
process? I mean, is there power in kind of dreaming and ideating together rather than trying to be that solo heroic leader that comes up with all the great ideas themselves? Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question because there, there's a total myth. There's a lot of myths about creativity. One is the myth of the blinding flash. I've already kind of talked about that, like the process. Uh, it's about the process. And the other is the myth of the Lone Ranger hero, right? So like, like, like people lift up Edison as this ultimate example of a creative genius. And like he, like the, one of the stories I kept seeing over and over when I was doing my research was the idea that he had 6,000 attempts before he figured out the light bulb. And so the, the image in people's minds is that he's sitting there in front of this machine 6,000 times trying to figure it out. But that's not the case. He had 200 people in a lab in Menlo Park, New Jersey, that were doing these 6,000 experiments, right? That's 30 p- a piece, right? So that's a little bit more manageable, right? <laughs> so the, the process is inherently social. It's inherently creative. Uh, God put us in community to be creative together because none of us are gifted with all the skills we need, right? We, we each have a, a part, and when we understand what our own creative gifts are, are and aren't, then we're freer to work with other people because we don't feel the burden. Again, this, this burden that we're somehow supposed to be ex nihilo gives it makes us think that we have to do it all ourselves. And we say, no, we're ex materia, we're connecting, then you inherently have to have other people and other ideas around you because the idea is that you're all connecting together. So it's inherently a social process. And that, that applies to, to ministry, it applies to marriages, it applies to parenting together, anything that, that you're involved in that's creating, who are you creating with? So Len, we want to thank you for being on the podcast today. And we want to encourage you as our listeners, we want to give you permission to think like a five-year-old. And so if you are in a creative slump, Feel free to share this podcast with anybody for inspiration. Len, how can they look up uh, some of your work and what you're doing? Sure, sure. Uh, well, you know, I, I have an Amazon author page, so you can see all my books there, including Think Like a Five-Year-Old. Uh, to, to see the current ministry uh, at inviteresources.com with my most recent work published last fall called Greater Things, which is kind of a, a sequel to Think Like a Five-Year-Old. Uh, in terms of like the, the vocational work and the things, the innovations that we create. And then also a book that Leonard Sweet and I are co-writing, which comes out uh, in four or five months now, which is about teleology. And we're we, we we're going to call it The End, but I've had some feedback that some people say that's too dark. So I don't know. We're, we're figuring out what the title is going to be still. But <laughs> but you can you can learn about that book coming up on the inviteresources.com website. Well, thanks, Len. Friends, this is Len Wilson with us today on the Better Together podcast. And we just pray that you'll be blessed and be creative and uh, keep creating.